We'll open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We're going to kind of do a little bit of review and uh, you know, finish out a, a section that we didn't quite uh, cover fully last week. We got into chapter 12 and, uh, and just uh, yeah, had to end up you know, just finishing very quickly. And in these two sections, chapter 12, obviously go together, and so it's not such a disconnect as we put these two together. But from the standpoint of our weekly briefings, uh, just remember with chapter 12, we've got you know, these summation statements you know, where, first of all, you've got the ways of God that should be stirring us up. You know, we are recipients of mercy. And how blessed we are to be God's children, to be adopted into his family. And so that should be motivating us to live, to serve in such a way that uh, we do so even sacrificially according to God's will. With that uh, transformation, there is a renewing of the mind, and it's a renewal of the mind in the Lord. And so what, how should that impact us? How should that change us? Well, it should change the faithful man about his, his attitudes, and so he, he should change his attitude about himself. It should change his attitude about his brethren, and it should also change his attitude even about his enemies. And so chapter 12 covers those thoughts you know, uh, in challenging us to live our faith in Christ. It, it, we are saved by grace through faith, and... And how, how should we do that? We do it with an, a submissive, obedient allegiance to God and Christ. And it's not some, some just ideological kind of thought, philosophical kind of thinking. It's a practical application. You know, faith is all about living, living for God and living for Christ. And the second half or so of Romans really focuses on that idea of once we know who Jesus is, once we know how we you know, put Christ on and receive his mercy and grace, okay, what does that mean in regard to my daily life? And that's what, you know, that section we're into right now. I want to begin, begin before our, our discussion, we're going to reread the first eight verses of Romans chapter 12. So please open up your Bibles to that text, Romans chapter 12. And I'm going to read the first eight verses, and then we'll start our discussion. By the Holy Spirit, Paul writes to the saints, to the Christians in Rome, and to us still today by saying, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. 
But to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So we'll stop our reading there. And this is you know, kind of the, as we go back and touch some of the points of, from last week. And that is in this section of, uh, of Romans, particularly verses 3 through 8, what we see is that as, as Christians, as saints, we are all members of Christ. We are members of Christ's body. And we are to be using our abilities, we are to be using our gifts that we get from God to benefit Christ's body. And so we have been endowed with various gifts and abilities, and, and here, as now members of Christ, Paul is emphasizing we need to have a right attitude about ourselves, and we need to have the right attitude about each other. And so he fi- kind of focuses here on this idea. First of all, there are differences. There are differences of abilities. There are differences of gifts, and, so, and, and some of these gifts yeah, particularly prophecy was a miraculous spiritual gift given to some Christians in that time. And so no matter what it was, whether it was a miraculous gift and ability or whether it was a non-miraculous gift or ability, the point is, he says, first of all, we need to acknowledge that this has come from God. Whatever ability we have, Today, non-miraculously, it is, it is an ability and a gift from God. And we need to acknowledge that in a very humble way. And at the same time, then, we need to see because that gift, that ability, needs to be used to God's glory. It needs to be used in a way properly in the body of Jesus Christ. It is not for ourselves. And so, you know... You know, he's, he's emphasizing the whole idea of this attitude toward oneself. And you see that particularly, how don't think too highly of yourself there in verse 3. And so, the, and so the point is, you know, we don't need an exaggerated self-esteem. An exaggerated self-esteem is dangerous. It is danger to ourselves, but it also it is a danger to the body. But he does want us to see two things, though. He wants, first of all, he wants us, wants us to see, basically, see your own value. Yeah. See that you are valuable. You are a value as, as a saint of God, as a member of Christ, as one who's made in the image of your creator. There is value in you. So see your value. But at the same time, also see the value of others. And so what you have is you have this idea of balance. And what Paul, through the Spirit, is doing is saying, okay, brethren, he says, you need to take a proper assessment of yourselves. You know, see that you're valuable, see that others are valuable. And so there should, there should be no sense, no false sense of humility. There should not be any false sense of modesty. No, each member of the body of Christ 
are of value to Christ. He died for you. He's redeemed you. He's cleansed you, but with his blood, he has brought you by adoption into his family. You are of value. But don't let that esteem of, of your value cause you to think too much of yourselves. And, you know, but say, there doesn't need this false sense of humility, false sense of modesty, but neither should there be an inflated opinion of yourself. And so there's no place for pride. There's no place for envy. And so he talks about this idea of these gifts and these abilities that are within the body, the relationship we have in Christ. And so all abilities, the miraculous ones in the first century, the non-miraculous then and now, all of these abilities are from God and they're to be used to f- fully to God's purpose, not for any kind of self-advancement or self-elevation. As, you, as we read, and as you, as you can see, there are seven specific gifts or seven specific abilities mentioned. Are these all inclusive? No, there are others that are talked about in the New Testament. But he's simply trying to use these to make the point of have the right attitude about yourself and your brothers. And so we've got seven, you know, seven gifts. Prophecy, ministering or serving, teaching, exhorting, giving, leading, showing mercy. Those are the seven that are listed. As I mentioned already, prophecy is a miraculous gift. For it to be truly prophecy, not simply teaching, but to be prophecy, that was a message from God by divine inspiration. It's not personal inspiration that you've been moved to do something. No, prophecy was a message from God, not a message from men, but a message from God by divine inspiration. And that's clearly brought out, for example, over in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you know, a chapter that deals with this idea of these miraculous spiritual gifts and prophecy is or was one of those. It's not the only one, but it was one of those. And you can go back and, and just glance there at verse 7 through 11, that these, these gifts, such as prophecy, were from the Holy Spirit as he is carrying out the will of the Father and the will of the Son, and he is distributing these different gifts according to the Spirit's will. The individual did not choose what gift he got. And Paul clearly you know, defines that, explains that in his letter to the Corinthians. So prophecy was a miraculous gift. The others, you know, some of those may have been miraculous. You know, the teaching may have been miraculous, but it doesn't have to be. The exhorting may have been a miraculous thing, but it doesn't have to be. So the others, you know, some of them may be miraculous, but they may not be. But the point is, okay, if you have, you know, if you have this message you know, from God, well, then use, deliver that message properly in, in proportion of faith. He says, if, if, if you have a gift or ability of serving, he says, basically, stay busy. Stay busy serving other people for their benefit. Once again, it's not anything about self-advancement. It's not about we're doing this for our own self-esteem. It makes me feel good. Yes, giving makes us you know, feel better than receiving. We know that principle, but that's not the motive. The motive here is you are part of an amazing relationship of grace and mercy, even though we don't deserve to be part of this relationship, 
But God's plan has made it possible. He says, and so now see yourself correctly of value, but do not have an exaggerated esteem of that. Have a proper assessment of yourself. Teaching, okay, the idea of instruction, instruction of truth. Uh, uh, and, and so, yeah, so if, if, if that's your gift and, uh, and you're a teacher, he says, so, so teach. Yeah. Get busy teaching. Use that gift. If it's exhorting, you think of the idea of exhorting others, uh, the ability of the gift to be able to urge others to pursue a course. If, you, if, if there's a member of Christ that has a unique ability to exhort, he says, okay, do it. Just get busy exhorting other people. Get busy touching the hearts of others to solicit the right kind of response in the relationship with Christ. Giving, okay? Is that your gift? The, 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 of giving, he says, okay, share your blessings. You know, First Timothy 6, what did Paul tell the rich saints of God in First Timothy chapter 6? General, this means, I'm not asking for a quotation. This is down verse 17, 18, 19. You know, that should be familiar. What does he say to the rich, the rich Christians? Yeah, be rich in sharing. You know, and talks about their attitude about their possessions. You know, well, you need to have the right attitude about what you have. You know, and so use your blessings you know, in the way properly. And so the idea of giving, he says, okay, so share your blessing with others. If that's, if that's your unique ability, you know, you don't have that. Once again, all of these, we think, oh, okay, well, you know, you know, I've been blessed, but, you know, I, you know, I've really made it. I've, I've succeeded. See, that's not the point, is it? We all, we all understand we all have responsibility and obligation to be responsible, diligent you know, uh, stewards in this life. We don't need to be lazy and all that. But our successes, even monetarily, are not simply our own doing. See? And so you can see how that exaggerated esteem can even infect and corrupt the mind of a saint. To those who are leaders, those who are uh, rulers, he says basically don't shirk that burden. Don't shirk the, you know, the, the gift you have to lead, but rather discharge that du- duty earnestly. And then he ends with showing mercy. You know, interesting one. He said, but people who have this gift, this ability to be able to show mercy you know, at the right time in the right way. The idea of imparting genuine understanding and pity to lift up the spirits of others. He says, do that without be, be, being begrudging about it. <laughs> see? So all, see, all of those, the miraculous ones as well as the non-miraculous ones, all of these, he says, these are gifts, these are abilities God has given you as a saint, as a child of his. And he says, okay, Use them correctly. For, for example, showing mercy is, no, is, is of no less value than the miraculous gift of prophecy. Showing mercy is of no less value than the miraculous gift of prophecy in the first century. Also, giving is not more important you know, than exhortation. Giving, you want someone who has the gift and the opportunity, ability and the opportunity to be you know, liberal and generous you know, givers in all kinds of ways. That, that is no more important 
than someone who doesn't have that gift or ability, but they can exhort. See, see your value correctly and use that ability and gift that you have. So that kind of covers the gist of what those verses are about. But there is one aspect of this, of this tech, you know, section I want us to talk a little bit further about that someone you know, made a comment to me regarding you know, this after class. And that is, you know, each member of Christ, each Christian is to measure himself. He is to examine himself. There in verse 8, he says, As God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Some versions may read, according as God had dealt to every man the measure of faith. So I want to talk a little bit of that with that phrase. What does that mean in this context of Romans chapter 12? The idea of God has dealt to every man according to the measure of faith. And so there's a couple of questions we're going to begin with. One is, you know, obviously we're going to ask this idea of how or what has God distributed? God has distributed something. God has dealt something out here to members of Christ's body. And so what is it? So we need to answer that question. Because you look there in verse 8, he's, you know, verse 8, it's actually verse 3. I've got, you know, you know, said that wrong. In verse 3, to think as he have sound judgment, as God has allowed to each a measure of faith. So God has distributed, given something to each, you know, you know, uh, this measure of faith, all right? But when you think about that, the second question that needs to go with that is, what has the Holy Spirit through Paul already told us in this defense of the gospel in the letter to the Romans? What has he already said to us about faith? Because what, what, what this means in this verse cannot contradict what he has already laid out previously, it cannot mean something different than what he's already said in the sense of there's to be a contradiction. There can be a different application, but it's not going to contradict what he's already said. For example, in chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, the very first chapter, as, as Paul is, is introducing this you know, defense of the gospel that is the power to save you who believe and how he's going to do that, he begins by saying the proclamation of Jesus, the proclamation of the Son of God is going to bring about obedience of faith. That's, that, that's the first mention of faith in Romans. Through the proclamation, through the, you know, the sounding forth of God's Son, that message is going to produce the obedience of faith. Then you, in, in the same chapter, verse 17, we are then told in the gospel... Verse 16, it's the power of God to save those who believe. In that gospel, verse 17, God's righteousness is revealed from faith to faith. So in the gospel is revealed not only Jesus Christ, but also revealed God's righteousness. And that righteousness you know, is delivered from, you know, you know, from faith to faith. I believe the system of faith will produce faith. I think that's what that means. This revealed system of faith will produce in you your faith and bring about the obedience of faith. Then you look over in chapter 5 when you're told, okay, he's getting into the whole idea of justification and sanctification and reconciliation. In chapter 5 in verse 2 he says, by faith, by faith, disciples are justified in God's grace. 
by believing the one true faith, by believing the one true faith, you you are justified in God's grace. Chapter 10 then tells us in verse 8 that the word of faith has been preached, which is really, he's already stated that in chapter 1. When he talks about the, you know, the sounding forth of, of the Son of God that's going to bring about obedience of faith. And so that has already been introduced. But now he comes back to that thought and says, okay, the gospel has been preached. That's why both Jew and Gentile are both accountable on the, by the same standard. The gospel has already been delivered. It has already been revealed. It has already been proclaimed throughout the world. And so, therefore, verse 17 says, faith, therefore, comes by hearing the word of Christ. To me, interestingly, we go right, we end in chapter 10, you know, this idea of faith at the very same point that we started with in chapter 1. Yeah. It is through the proclamation of Christ that's going to produce the obedience of faith. And that faith is going to come by hearing and accepting and receiving the word of Christ, the message of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And when we receive that, get back to the point, that will, that will, when it's the proper kind of believing, it will produce the proper kind of obedience. So that's, you know, so that's what's already said about faith. And so you think about the point here is, therefore, God's saving word of faith sets the standard. So whatever he says in chapter, in chapter 12, verse 3, he's not changing the standard. He's not saying you're going to be saved some other way than believing the gospel of Jesus Christ that's going to produce the obedience you know, in your life because you have made Jesus your Lord and King. You know, no, God's saving word of faith you know, has set the standard, and it's the same standard for everybody. Everybody's going to, we're all going to be governed and judged by the same standard. You know, that's what has been presented in the first 11 chapters of Romans. So therefore, therefore, in this chapter, in chapter 12, in the body of Christ, what we see, he does a, there is this point that everyone is being apportioned something. Everybody is being given something you know, in, in, in this context of Romans 12. And that something is going to be different for everybody. Everybody cannot prophesy. Everybody doesn't have you know, the, the so-called gift or ability of showing mercy to the extent that we're called to show mercy. You know. Now, is there, is there responsibility and obligation for all of us the same? Yes. We all, we're all judged by the same standard. But the, you've got these different gifts that are being distributed and apportioned by God, you know. And, and so he says, and this distribution of these gifts are to be judged soundly, you know, because God, God is distributing, God is allotting to each a measure of faith. And so what we need to understand, this measure of faith has to be understood by what the Spirit says in Romans 12, He's not talking about the faith that you have to believe to be saved. He's talking about, he's talking to Christians who already are in the faith, standing firmly in grace. 
that they have been given something. They have, been, you know, they have been allotted something, you know, as he says, by a measure of faith. And so that measure of faith, I believe, is defined by verses 4 through 8. That's the measure of faith he's talking about. What has he allotted to us? Basically, Romans 12 tells us, you know, expounds what kind of things are being distributed. What is the measure of faith that they're receiving? We're all saved the same way. It's going to be through the gospel, by believing Christ, and rendering obedience to that message of the king. So what is the measure of faith that's being distributed to individual Christians? I believe the measure of faith are these gifts and are these abilities from God. The idea, so you think, here are these personal things, you know, maybe call them personal endowments, and he said, okay, now you need to use these, these gifts, these abilities to do God's will in relation to one's faith. All these gifts must be used in relation to one's faith. That involves judgment. That involves wisdom. That's the whole point. Do not think too highly of yourself, but think according to sound judgment. We have to use our mind. What kind of mind? The mind that's been renewed in verse 1 and 2. The mind that's been renewed through Christ. We need to use that mind in a sensible way so that we're using what's been measured to us, what has been allotted to us, our, our abilities and our gifts. We need to use those soundly in a way that's consistent with faith. I think that's the point here. God has given these gifts to each accordingly, you know, but it's, in, it's done so in relationship to faith. Each member of Christ has to view himself and view his abilities within the bounds of faith. Faith measures our thinking. Faith has to measure how I see things, how I look at things. It has to guide me in that so that I do not overstep in my functions, I don't overstep in my functions, but neither do I neglect my functions either. God is allotted to each measures of faith. And I think the context is talking about the gifts and the abilities that he describes. That's the measure of faith. He, he's telling you what he's talking about. And he says, but look at yourself and look at these different things in such a way that you see they're from God for the benefit of others, for the benefit of the body of Christ, and all within, within this relationship of God's righteousness that's revealed from faith to faith. When we do that, when we're all doing that, the body is going to be healthy. When every member mutually is serving to their best ability and their function is going to be a little bit different from someone else's function. But when everyone is seeing themselves as valuable and seeing everyone else as value and we're all kind of bringing, you know, our skills, our abilities to the same table, we're all bringing it together and we're all working together, serving one another to the glory of God, you know, you know how by presenting ourselves a living sacrifice. So that's my explanation of that, that text. Brother Sam. I was trying to figure out where you were going with this. But you got there and I followed you and 
it, it seems to me, so I was thinking one thing at first, and I've always had a hard time figuring out why does he say in proportion to their faith in verse five, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Close. And um, now he does call these things, as he said, I received the grace of God to be able to do this. He calls, he calls it grace as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. But I followed you where you're going, and I have never thought about this point before, but it appears to me, and I think this is what you're trying to say, in this time, and this, this applied to them, and if these were spiritual gifts, then it, 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 it seems to me that the Holy Spirit is giving them these abilities to do things that all Christians should do based on their talents, because there were a lot of Christians then that did not have the spiritual gift, but they could look at others that were doing the things the Spirit was showing them how to do, and whether they had the Spirit's help or not, they could say, look at this brother, look at what they're doing, I can learn from that. So this, it seems to me that this is all Holy Spirit-inspired teaching for the others to learn from, to learn how God wants us to use our talents, our abilities, because Paul in other places does that. Mm-hmm. Right. He says, man, use your talents and abilities, whether it was in the time of spiritual Holy Spirit help or not. And so that comes all the way down to us today. Mm-hmm. No, I don't claim to have any special miraculous Holy Spirit ability, but I can learn from this to say, hey, as my faith in God tells me that I've been blessed by God, I can do things for my brethren. Mm-hmm. I may not be a miraculous teacher, but I can teach. Mm-hmm. It may not be a miraculous encourager, but I can encourage nonetheless. Mm-hmm. And, and so I don't know why I was so, so thick-headed on this before, but, uh, you know, light has come on, and it, it, it seems very evident now, so I really appreciate how you well, went you. through the yeah. process. And it just tells me that, you know, not only is it important what I say and what I do, but my example to others is so important. And I think that's what he's trying to teach them there. Mm-hmm. What you're doing is going to show other people how they need to live. Mm-hmm. Good. So. Thank you very much. Someone else want to add, add to Leanne over here in the back? One of, one of the things as, as we think kind of bring, wrap up this little section and get into the, the remainder part of the chapter, and that is... Uh, this idea of the measure of faith is, it's, you know, when you understand it, it is not teaching, you know, that God gives you the faith that's going to make you believe. No, he's already presented, he sent his son to die for the world. He's, you know, the gospel is now revealed and we're all going to come to be, 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 become believers in Christ and followers of Christ the same way. So it's not that God is giving you the faith that's going to make you saved. No, he's giving a measure of something that you're to use within the faith properly. Leanne. I just wanted to say, um, it reminds me of, you know, um, of not hiding your talents, but um, when you have a talent or you have a gift from God, you're always, you're not to say, oh, look at me, look at what I do. Mm -hmm. You're supposed to say, 
you're supposed to say, well, I'm given that ability or I'm given that gift because of Christ. For instance, today's society, they'll be like, oh, well, you'll be blessed for this or you'll be blessed for that. And you have to understand, it have to go back to what you are. You are a Christian. You're a reflection of the Lord. And if you cannot... If you cannot give praise to God, then you really should not be doing what you're doing. Every act and every deed that you do belongs to God. Thank you. Yeah, and, and, and really, the emphasis here is really attitude, and it seems to emphasize more so, you know, as it starts off, our attitude about ourselves. You know, particularly there, you see the highlight of verse three when he says, "Don't think too much of yourself, too highly of yourself, but rather think." So basically, don't think this way, think this other way, think in the way. Once again, and this is all coming out of those introductory thoughts of verse one and two, present your body to God in a way that's worthy for God, sacrificially, you know, Chris right there. And, and that's gonna involve not conforming to you know, worldly ways, but transforming yourself to become what God intends you to be. Chris. And in that uh, verse one, uh, kind of where you are there, mm-hmm. uh, the, the New King James says, which is your reasonable service. So um, that really appeals to my logical side of my right, brain. Right, yes. It's like, okay, if I, by faith, am understanding what God has done for me, then it is the least I can do mm-hmm. uh, to, to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And if we start there, I mean, that, that's a source of... Uh, being humble to me, like helps mm-hmm. me to be humble. Um, but if we start there, whatever we do, if we're starting there, it's going to be, it's going to be so much better. Yes. Yes. Thank you very much. Well, let's move on into the next session. Once again, this is a continual flow really in chapter 12, we divide it up. And so you get into verses nine through 13, where, you know, the summation statement of that is basically that, you know, love is going to be the guiding principle. It's going to be the guiding principle when it comes to our estimation, our consideration, and our interaction, our treatment of fellow saints. Yeah. So you think, you know, you know chapter one, you know, you know, first we kind of emphasize, okay, what's your attitude about yourself? How do you value you and value others and, and your place in, in the body of Christ? Now he says, okay, now let's look at it in a little more practical way. Okay, you need to show love. You need to show love and how you estimate yeah, you need to show love and how you consider. You need to show love and how you treat you know one another. And clearly, throughout the New Testament, we see you know genuine love always involves action. But it's action. Once again, go back to you know verse one and verse two. It is action which is consistent with the renewed mind of Christ. So our definition of love must be consistent and our practice of love must be consistent with the renewed mind in Christ. There's no pretense and there's no vain or empty words, but rather it is an embedded love of God, for example, that has to hate what God hates, such as darkness, such as wickedness. And as we said, okay, you know, love without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil. If I'm going to renew my thinking and be transformed by the will of God, then I've got to change my mind, change my heart, change my ways, and that includes an, an idea of, you know, the, my love. And what kind of love is it? Well, it's a love that's going to hate the same things that God hates, but at the same time be actively adhering to everything that God says is good. And so he's not calling us to be people of hatred, 
But he said, but he said okay, but you cannot approve of, condone those things that God says are sinful and wrong and unrighteous. You know, no, you know, you, you've got to abhor the bad, but at the same time, you need to adhere to everything that God says is good. Interesting, there is a statement made in Hebrews 1. I'm going to turn over there very quickly and read verse 9. In Hebrews chapter 1, in verse 9, where it talks about Christ, it's a, you know, it's a statement, it's a quotation from the Old Testament about, about Jesus, the Son of God. But notice the character of Christ. Once again, we are to be imitating Christ, putting on Christ. And he talks about Christ here in verse 9 of Hebrews 1. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. Speaking of Christ's role, Christ's exaltation, one of the reasons why is because he, he loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. That's the same thing we're being asked to do in, in, in Romans 12, 9. And so here's this Christ-like love that is to be manifested you know, by all Christians toward one another. And so that's, you know, what, it doesn't matter what our background is. You think of that Jew or Greek, uh, slave or free, male or female, rich or poor, educator or uneducated, it doesn't matter. He says, we're to have love toward one another. How's that going to be manifested? Well, as he prescribes and explains here, we're going to show affection. We're going to show affection to all in God's family, not just to the ones that uh, we prefer. No, in God's family, we're going to show love and affection to all in God's family, and we're going to honor others and not ourselves. That kind of ties into having not having an exaggerated self-esteem. While at the same time, we're going to be very diligent, we're going to be very zealous, doing whatever the Lord requires, because that's ultimately what we're here for. We're to serve the Lord, because he's the one to be served. And so you think, it's a call for spiritual, spiritual industriousness. We are being told here to be spiritually industrious, you know, in our attitude and in our treatment. Now, in the midst of life, there's going to be hardships, there's going to be disappointments, there's going to be problems. And so, in all of that, at the same time, we're told, steadfastly rejoice because you have an anchor, you have a hope. It's your hope that gives you the ability to rejoice at a time of hardship. You know, I think also, there's a call to pray fervently, persistently, you know, at the same time, while at the same time, unselfishly supply the needs of brethren and welcome the opportunities even to take care of those who are strangers to you. There's a lot of things that you can expound on there. We're going to have to stop there. We'll, you know, tie in this next section next week. It goes very well. Once again, Paul didn't have a chapter break. And you really, so the last few verses of chapter 12 go right into what he says in chapter 13. And so we'll connect that, Lord willing, next week. Thank you very much.